We are in Luke 18. We've been in a long series in this Gospel of Luke, taking an extended look at the life of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be focusing on Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. If you're new to the Bible, you can find Luke 18 by just looking for the big number 18, and then the little numbers 1 through 8 is where we will be focusing our attention. As we get make your way there, believe it or not, if I'm doing my math correctly, which is always suspect, but I, I think I've done it right this time. If I'm doing my math correctly, Christmas is six weeks away. Christmas is six weeks. Can you believe that? Every parent is like, why are you bringing that up right now? Um, well, I'll make it even worse. So Christmas is six weeks away, and kids, um, isn't one of the hardest things about Christmas sometimes is that we have these presents and things that we want to get, and then Christmas comes, we're grateful for what we have, but there was that one thing that just never came through, right? Have you, ever, have you ever had that experience before where there's something you're really hoping for and just that my kids are raising their hands? Um, and it just, it, just didn't, it just didn't come through. One year, I remember, I really wanted an Allen Iverson jersey. Um, if you don't know who Allen Iverson is, uh, you need to study the history of Philadelphia a little bit more. Allen Iverson was one of the greatest basketball players of all time, one of my favorite basketball players of all time. Pound for pound, I would still argue one of the greatest athletes that ever played in the city of Philadelphia. And I, I really wanted his jersey. Um, but we didn't, I didn't come from a family that had that kind of means. But one of my cousins, who I was you know, really close to, t took compassion on me and said, I'm going to get you that jersey this year. He knew how much I wanted it. And he promised to get it for me. And so went through Christmas and got, got some good gifts, but was looking forward to being with my cousin's family. And he was going to give me that jersey. But he forgot. He forgot. And that actually became a pattern with this particular cousin where he would say things that I wanted, be very kind to me, but then he just never, he never really came through. And so over time, like, he was still my cousin. My relationship with him didn't necessarily change, but I stopped trusting that he would actually do what he says he would do. And I wonder for how many of us that's what it can be like with God sometimes. We, we, we see and read God's promises to take care of us and come through for us, and yet it doesn't always seem like he delivers what he says he's going to do. Maybe you have been praying for something for a long time, and that burden, it just, it just still exists in your life. That circumstance is still a challenge. That sadness still is present. That threat, oh, that's still very much near. I think sometimes, can't we just feel like giving up? Just giving up. What's, what's the point of praying? What's the point of talking to God in this way? Is when we just don't see God coming through. It's not necessarily maybe stop believing in God. We can, we can kind of just stop trusting Him a little bit, can't we? Maybe you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, and this is actually one of the reasons why you're not a Christian. You've, you've prayed for things, and you actually, you stopped believing in God altogether. You have stopped believing in God altogether. You, you, you just don't believe he exists. Today, I think Jesus wants to use this passage to speak into that kind of discouragement. The context of this is in chapter 17, Jesus had just gotten done talking about his second coming. He says that his kingdom was already here because he was present. But he also says it's not yet fully realized. So there's this tension. It's, it's already here, but it's not yet fully realized. And he calls his disciples to look forward to his second coming. To look forward when he will come and establish his rule and reign once and for all. 
But he knows that that day was going to be far off. He knows that that second coming is, is not soon coming. And he knew that as his disciples, not just these here, but us today, as we navigate this broken world waiting for the return of our king, he knew that we would be tempted to want to give up. This world is just such a broken place. Our weather is broken. We have hurricanes and tsunamis that can kill tens and hundreds of thousands sometimes. Our bodies are broken. We have things like the coronavirus that can literally shut down the world. We have diseases and defects and mental health challenges. Our relationships can be broken. There's no perfect marriage. There's no perfect family. No perfect friend. No perfect church. We live in a broken world, and that brokenness, as we interact with it, I think it can tempt us to give up. And so I'm going to tell you this morning's sermon, when you feel like giving up, when you feel like giving up, let's turn our attention to what Jesus says when we feel like giving up. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God, Give justice to his elect who cry to him night and day. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? May God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word and be with us by his spirit. Usually when Jesus tells a parable, a parable is simply a story with a point, he usually tells the parable and then makes the point at the end. But in this parable, he gives away the punchline right away. He he tells us in verse 1 that he wants to teach us how we ought always to pray. He, He wants us to not just occasionally pray, not just pray a few times, he wants us to pray always. To have a lifestyle of prayer. To be continual in our prayer. To have prayer not just be something we do as a last resort, but something we do as a first priority. And in doing this, he he wants us to know how to pray this way without losing heart. Without giving in to discouragement. Without giving in to defeat. Without giving in to doubt. He wants to learn how to pray and not lose heart. And his goal in doing this is not just to give some kind of spiritual checklist. Okay, did you say your prayers for the day? Like we check off that. Yes, I'm doing good. I'm a good Christian. His point in doing this is not just to give us a spiritual checklist. No, he makes his point in wanting help to help us cultivate a lifestyle of prayer. He makes his point in verse 8 with the question he asks. He says in verse 1, pray. And then in verse 8 he says, will the Son of Man find any faith when he returns? saying, pray so that you can have faith. See that connection? He's calling them to pray persistently 
so they can experience more faith in their life. See, Jesus doesn't want us to go through life being discouraged and defeated and doubtful. He wants us to experience the blessing of an enduring, persevering faith. He wants to know the, the assurance of a strong trust that God is who he says he is and God will do what he says he will do. And he wants to know all the peace and comfort and hope that that assurance, that faith brings. See, faith is not just belief in God. Faith is having a relationship with God. But like any relationship, how we grow in a relationship is through spending time with one another. It's through communicating with each other. And, and that's what prayer is. Prayer is communicating with God. It's spending time with Him. It's talking to Him. It's quieting ourselves and listening to Him. And how amazing is that? Like, when was the last time you stopped to think about how amazing it is that God wants to have a relationship with us? You know, we're a culture that gets all gaga about, like, a few moments of celebrity's time. As the team chaplain for the Philadelphia Phillies, I'll be out getting lunch with one of the guys, and, you know, we'll be coming out of a restaurant, and if it's one of the more famous and well-known players, they'll, they'll, you know, fans are coming up asking for their autographs, and they're, like, taking selfies, and they're just freaking out for, like, two seconds of this guy's time, you know, and then they're always looking at me, and they're like, and, and who are you? It's like, you know, it's a good opportunity to just remind them I'm a nobody, and, you know, okay, my dog thinks I'm really important, okay? My, if my dog had a cell phone, my dog would want a selfie with me, all right? Just a few moments of a celebrity's time, and people freak out. Do you realize in prayer, we have unlimited access to God's full attention all the time? The creator of the heavens and earth, the almighty maker of all, wants to spend time with us. <laughs> this is what prayer is, friends. How amazing it is. How amazing it is. Praying is relating to God. And Jesus wants to teach us how to persist in prayer. He wants us to teach us how to persist in prayer so that we can persevere in our faith. That's the big idea that he wants to accomplish in our lives for this text. He wants to show us how persistent prayer grows persevering faith. Persistent prayer grows persevering faith. Let me say it this way. Praying is what gives faith greater staying power in our lives. Let me try it another way. The more we pray to God, the deeper and more long-lasting will be our relationship with God. Persistent prayer grows persevering faith. And in this passage, Jesus gives us three reasons why we should persist in prayer so that we can experience persevering faith. Here's the first reason that we should persist in prayer. Persist in prayer because God is just. God is just. In order to understand what's going on in this parable, it's very important that we get that this is a parable of contrast, not a parable of comparison. We see, we see this made very clear to us right away in verse 2, when the judge is described as a man who does not fear God. This is repeated again in verse 4, and it also says that he is an unrighteous person. And so obviously, we're not meant to make a comparison between an unrighteous judge and God. We're meant to see a contrast. Like, God is not like this judge. 
God is everything that this judge is not. This judge has a case brought to him by a widow. She's been taken advantage of in some way by an adversary. But this is a corrupt judge. He, he does not care to give her justice. It was not uncommon in those days for there to be a kind of pay-to-play type situation where you had to bribe a judge in order to get the justice that you deserve. But in ancient times, widows were often destitute. They were not allowed to work, could not provide for themselves, and so if they did not have a family around them, if they were truly widowed, there were few people that were more vulnerable than a widow. And so because this widow could not do anything for this judge, this judge has no desire to give justice to her. But what she lacks in financial and social resources, she makes up for with her persistence. She, she just won't let it go. In verse 5, it says that she keeps bothering him. It goes on to say even more graphically in, in verse 5 that he says she will not, uh, he wants to stop so she will not beat me down. Like that's what she's doing. She is beating him down. That word actually literally in the Greek means she's giving me a black eye. Like this go woman is just keeping coming and coming and coming and she is a strong woman. She is not taking no for an answer. And this judge is finally like, okay, I'll just give her justice, not because he cares about her, but because he's just tired of her. Then after painting this picture, Jesus, Jesus illustrates his point. Verse 7, he says, will not God give justice? If, that, if that's what a corrupt judge does, who doesn't care about anyone but himself, if that's what a corrupt judge does, how much more so will the perfect judge do what is right and just. It's making this declaration that, that God is not going to be like this unjust judge. God, God is not going to let evil go unpunished. God is not going to let oppression to go unchecked. He's not going to let brokenness to not be restored. God is not like this judge. God is fair in his decisions. He is righteous in all his ways. For God to deny justice is for God to deny himself. Genesis chapter 18.25 says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Yes, he will. Always. And should we doubt that? Should we doubt God's commitment to justice? Just think about who's speaking this. Is there anyone who more clearly shows God's commitment to justice than Jesus Christ. Think about it. The reason that we can be forgiven of our sins is not because God turns a blind eye to our sins. That, that would be corrupt. That would be unrighteous. To let the evil go free is an act of sin. And God, in and of himself, he, he cannot sin by the definition of who he is. And so there's this tension that exists where God, he must be just, and yet he wants to also be merciful. And so what happens? Jesus comes, God made man so that God's justice can be satisfied. This is why Jesus came, friends. He had come to give us a good example of how we should live life. Jesus came to satisfy the justice of God. 
Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He was delivered up for our trespasses. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. All this was to fulfill the prophecy from Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Friends, no one knows more about God's justice than Jesus. He experienced it. That's that's what was happening on the cross. And so there's nothing that shows God's commitment to justice more than the cross of Jesus Christ. God is so committed to justice, so committed to punishing what is evil, that when evil was put even upon his own son, when God made him who knew no sin to be sin, when our wrongs and our evils and our injustices, when they were placed on Christ, God could not even spare his own son, but his justice rained down. The Bible says that the sky went dark on that day. As Christ experienced God's righteous judgment. And so friends, when you see injustices happening, or when you experience injustice yourself, when wrongs do not seem to be getting righted, when bad things and bad people do not seem to be getting held to account, when you are praying and nothing seems to be happening, Do not lose heart. Persist in prayer. God's the God of justice. Jesus shows us that yes, God will always do what is right. Point number two. Pray persistently because God is love. God is love. Pray persistently because God is just. Pray persistently because God is love. This judge does not care anything for this widow. He doesn't even mention her name. She is completely unimportant to him. We're told why in verse 4. Not only does he not respect God, but he also says he does not respect man. He he doesn't care about people. He's totally self-consumed. No love in his heart for this widow. But then listen to how Jesus describes his heart, God's heart. Listen to why he says God gives justice to us. Oh, there's such an important word in verse 7. It says, will not God give justice to his elect? That's how God describes us. What a rich word that is. To elect means to choose. The Bible uses this, talk about the, the chosen ones. We see this in Genesis chapter 12. When God chooses Abraham. Even though Abraham was a pagan sun worshiper, God chooses him and promises that through Abraham, God's going to make himself known to the world. We see this election in Genesis chapter 25 when God chooses Jacob to carry on his promise to make himself a people for himself. Even though Jacob was, was the younger brother and it was actually supposed to be Esau's natural right to be the heir. 
In Exodus chapter 3, we see God chooses Moses to be the deliverer of the Israelite people from their slavery to Egypt, even though Moses had just committed murder. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when God chooses David to be his chosen king, even though David was the youngest of the four brothers and considered insignificant. Friends, God is the God of the even those. God is the God of grace. The God of undeserved mercy and goodness and favor. God's electing grace, friends, means that he chooses us not because we have any merit in ourselves. He chooses us even though he chooses us on the basis of his grace. And this goes all the way back to the very foundation of of the world actually precedes that. It goes back to even before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Friends, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, that's because you have been chosen and elected by God. In love, God has made you part of his beloved. Yes, you had to place your faith in him. Yes, if you're listening to this and you've yet to place your faith in him, that is the decision that is before you today. Place your faith in Christ. Yes. But then once you do, here's what you're going to find out. Why, why did you do that? Why did you make that choice? Romans 1 tells us that we all naturally suppress the truth about God because we want to live our own way. We want to be answerable only to ourselves. In short, we kind of want to be functional gods of our own lives. There's no one who's ever been knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Like, ever. It's never happened. We were born to this world hell-bent on running away from God. But God in His infinite love in unparalleled mercy, incomprehensible grace, chooses, he elects to stop us in our tracks. And he made this choice, friends, as he chooses to stop us, as he elects us. Oh, friends, think about what God's election of us cost him. What does it mean for God to, in love, choose us before the foundation of the world? That meant that in love he knew, he knew the cross was coming. The book of Revelation tells us that the only way we can get our name, or we can get into heaven, is if our names, it says in Revelation 13, 8, if our names are written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Again, going back to Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the world, names are written in the book of life. Friends, God's choice to save you was a choice to put you in his book of life. If you're a Christian and a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to know something right now. Your name is written in heaven. You are known there. But the ink that puts your name in that book is ink that comes from the blood of the Lamb that was slain. The blood of Jesus, our sacrificial lamb. You know what this means, friends? Is Christ is writing our name in his blood. 
That means that the cross is personal. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't dying for a faceless and nameless mass of humanity. When you placed your faith in Christ, if today you would place your faith in Christ, Jesus was dying for you. As he hung there experiencing the physical torment of nails driven through his hands and feet, fighting for breath, the excruciating pain that paled in comparison to the judgment of God that was coming upon him. As the crowd gathered around him, not in support, but in mockery, and said things like, prove yourself to be a savior by saving yourself and coming down. Do, do you know what God's election means? God's election means that he didn't come down because he was staying up there for you and I. He didn't come down because he knew that he couldn't save himself and save us at the same time. He didn't come down because he was staying up there for Jeff's sins of arrogance and self-righteousness and greed and envy and selfishness. He stayed up there because he was writing my name in his book with his blood. If you believed in Christ, he stayed up there because he has written your name in his blood as well. The cross was personal, friends. As we see Jesus speak about his elect, how sweet it is to hear these words. And what a reason this is for us to pray. If God loves us like that, how certain we should be that God is listening to us as we bring our needs before him. And so whenever you're tempted to doubt that God cares for you, friends, remember, this is the God who chose to die for you. Of course he cares for you. Of course he hears you. You're in his beloved. That's who you are. Or if you're wondering, okay, see how God's just, I see how God's love, then why is God still not answering my prayers? Well, that takes us to the third and final point. We pray because God's just, we pray because God is love, and finally, we pray because God is wise. Persist in prayer because God is wise. Verse 7 goes on to say, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, we read that and we're like, wait a second, like, throwing a flag, this isn't true. <laughs> I've been praying for something for a long time and there is no speedily happen here. But remember why Jesus is telling this parable. Like, remember the whole context? He, he's trying to pray so that you do not lose heart. The whole context here is the context of us not seeing God answer our prayers right away. Like, that's why Jesus is telling this whole parable. And so the speed that Jesus is talking about here cannot mean the speed of immediate answers. This is the speed, friends, of God's good and wise timing. What Jesus is saying, in effect, is that when God's time comes to answer this prayer, God never delays when it's the right time. He never delays. He's not slowed down by anything. There's nothing that can get in his way. When God decides that it's the time to come through, he comes all the way through, and there's nothing that can stop him. 
And so this is calling us to trust God's timing. Which that, let's just be honest. We're, we're a church that kind of values honesty. I think it's important to be in church, be honest. Let's be honest. That can be really hard to do though, can't it? Like to trust God's timing. I think few things are harder in life. Especially when what we're praying for is not like, you know, the latest pair of Air Jordans. It's, it's a loved one who's sick who's not getting better. It's a financial challenge that is threatening you significantly. It's someone caught in addiction that desperately wants to get out but just cannot seem to ever be free. Like there, there's deep prayers we can have. Why is God not answering? It'd be hard to trust his timing. But think again who's speaking about this. I think Jesus knows something about God not giving immediate answers to prayer. I think Jesus knows something about getting a different answer to prayer than the one you want. The night before Jesus was going to die, he had a time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is what it says in Luke 22, 42. Je Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. The cup that Jesus wanted taken away was the cup of God's wrath. The cup of God's righteous judgment towards sin. And as Jesus considered facing that, as he considered bearing the wrath of God on the cross, J Jesus is like, you know, no. <laughs> like, take this from me. We're told that his stress becomes so great that he literally starts sweating drops of blood. Like the capillaries in his face burst. That's how great was his anguish. God does not give an answer to that prayer. Jesus goes to the cross. He, he drinks the cup down to its last drops. And as he's on the cross bearing the wrath of God, he has another prayer. He prays, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does, does Jesus hear an answer to that cry? That deep, heartfelt cry? He doesn't. He doesn't. No answer. And Jesus breathes his last. Friends, Jesus' prayers were not immediately answered. They were not answered in a way that he wanted in that moment. But when God's time came to answer those prayers, God did not delay. Oh, the cup was not removed, but the cup was not the final word. When God decided to answer Jesus' prayer, why have you forsaken me? Did God ultimately forsake Christ? No, he didn't, friends. When God's time came, three days after having Jesus having died, he decided to raise Christ from the dead. When God's time came, not even death and hell could stop God from coming through. And so in Jesus Christ, we see the wisdom of God as he both died our death on the cross, paying the debt that we deserved. He paid it all, and then he rose again in victory. He rose again to vindicate that, yes, his payment of death was enough. Our debt is fully paid. Forgiveness is ours, and life with Christ is what we have to look forward to forever. And so, friends, when we struggle with God's timing, when it might seem like God is delayed, 
Remember Christ. Remember what he shows us. Remember how he proves to us that God always comes through in redemptive glory when in his wise, sovereign time, it's right. I don't know why God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers right now, and I certainly don't want to pretend to know that. Why God's not answering your good, godly, righteous, heartfelt prayers. I don't know why God hasn't answered my 30-year-old prayer to be healed from my Crohn's disease. I don't know why I still continue to babble that. But friends, I do know on the authority of God's word and proven through the character of God established in Christ that God always does what is wise. And when we get to the end of the story, we're going to see how wise our God is in such a way that our response is we're going to want to worship Him for all eternity for the glorious wisdom He reveals of His redemption. So persist in prayer, friends. God is just, God is loving, and God is, he is wise. As we come to a close, I hope the words of Christ here encourage us and inspire us to persist in prayer so that we will persevere in our faith. But just a desire to pray doesn't accomplish something in our lives. You can listen to someone play guitar and get really inspired and desire to, you know, to play like that. Unless you start putting in some practice, unless you start being disciplined in your pursuit of that desire, it's just not going to happen. Desire without discipline leads to defeat. Like, just, oh man, I'm never going to, I have desire, but it's never going to happen, and it's never going to change. You just, feel dis- you just feel defeated. How often in our prayer life, oh yes, I want to pray more, oh my goodness, you hear about someone who's praying, oh, I want to be like that, and just, I don't know how to do it, and just, you're defeated. There's no lasting change. See, it's desire coupled with discipline that actually makes a difference. And so the question I just want to ask you to think about and close is, how can you move from desire to discipline today? What, what disciplines can you put in your life to establish more regular patterns, healthy habits, and rhythms of prayer? That would be a great conversation to have with someone today. If we're one thing at Christ Church... I hope it is, friends, that we're a praying church. Prayer builds our faith. And everything else, all of our mission and worship and Bible study, I mean, everything else flows, flows from that. That faith in Christ that's built through prayer. So pray. Pray personally. Find regular routines of ways you can pray on a daily basis. Pick a psalm. This is something I love doing. I always pray through the psalms. Pick a psalm a day. Just pray through it. The Lord is my shepherd. God, thank you that you're my shepherd. I shall not want. Thank you that in you, you give me all that I want. He leads me to green pastures. Lord, would you lead me in the way you want me to go today? Would you help me, Lord God, to follow you today? Or you just taking the, taking the psalm, you just, you just flip it back and return to prayer. I'm easily distractible, so I need a little bit of a guide. It helps. Spend time with others pray. Don't just say, oh, I'm going to pray for you for that. Something that I love doing is, like, can I pray for you that, like, right now? And just pray with them right now in the moment. It's one of the reasons that we have small groups in our church. It's a vital part of what we do. If you're not part of a small group yet, please join us. Uh, they're actually coming up this week. You can get all the information online. Part of what we do in small groups, we just pray for each other. We pray for each other. If you have a family, 
or you're part of a household, or, or maybe you're single living alone, like, call a friend. Just pray with other people on a consistent, regular, habitual basis. Something we really do, again, just kind of practicals, but hopefully this is helpful. We have something we call our prayer jar. We just put different prayer requests in the prayer jar, and every night we just pick out a couple, each one of us picks out something to pray for. And then we have a calendar where each, each day we have different categories we pray for. So Sunday is church day, so today we're praying for church, you know. Tomorrow we're going to be praying for orphans. And we just, we just go through and we pray for, we just pray for different things. This is why we pray as a church in our prayer service. This is why I'm excited that one of the things that we, our pastoral team, has asked uh, our latest addition, Ian McConnell, to do um, on our staff is to continue to help us think about, as a church, how we can grow in fostering prayer. I'm just excited about how we're going to grow in this area even more under his leadership. Friends, persistent prayer grows persevering faith. So let's be people who take that desire and turn it into a discipline so that we can experience deeper faith in Christ and joy in who he is. Let's bow our heads.